Well, good morning and welcome to College Road and uh, thanks for joining us again as we conclude our Hope is Here series this morning. Uh, it has been really encouraging over the last several weeks uh, just to kind of look, in, look through Scripture and uncover so many of the ways that we find hope in our relationship with Jesus Christ and in our relationships with one another. On week one, we learned that there is hope for the weary because... We don't have to carry our burdens alone. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And then on the second week, uh, we discovered that there's hope for the broken because we can find true forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Savior for our failures, for our mistakes, and that he has a divine purpose for our life that is bigger than the burden of our brokenness. And then last week, we saw that there was hope for the underdog. Uh, because with God, we can do anything on our own. We can't overcome the obstacles that we face, and yet, through Christ, we can do all things. And so today, this final uh, message through the Hope is Here series, we're going to discover one of the hardest places to find hope. And that is, is there any hope for the one who doubts? For the one who has doubt in their uh, in their minds in their hearts about the things of God. But here's the thing. Almost every honest Christian that I have ever met, that I have ever known, has experienced doubts when it comes to their faith. We may believe differently, but in a lot of respects we have the same questions. Maybe it's questions about the Bible itself. I mean, maybe you hear a story uh, in the Bible and you're like, wait a minute, there's just no way that's real. How about... Things like a worldwide flood. God put one family on a boat and in came the animals two by two and that's how God preserved all life on the planet while he destroyed the rest. Are, are you serious? Is that a reality? Or maybe the Red Sea actually parting and an entire nation of people walking across on dry land. Are, are we really supposed to believe that that happened? Or, or maybe things like this. Where did Cain actually get a wife from? I mean, nobody else was around, right? Wasn't it just Adam and Eve and his family? So where did Cain's wife come from? Or what about parts of the Bible that, that seem like they contradict each other? Those things that seem like maybe they're in opposition. How can they both be true at the same time? What about dif difficult doctrines? Things like hell. How can we really believe that God would send people to an eternity in a place called hell? Or how about questions about why, if there is a loving God... How could there be so much pain in the world? How could there be so much suffering? I mean, you watch the news, right? You're paying attention to current events. And you may say to yourself, how is it possible that there could be a loving God in charge and everything be like it is right now with the chaos of this world? Well, what about scientific discoveries? How, how is it that those scientific discoveries that seem to invalidate biblical claims have risen to so much prominence in the scholarly communities. Or, or maybe you have feelings that some of the Bible's teachings about morality and sexuality are outdated or they're archaic or that's the way things used to be. Why are Christians so hung up on the idea of, of sex and, and marriage between a man and a woman for life? Why is that such a big deal? Or maybe sometimes you just hear the Christian message and you think, Really? Is that really the truth? I mean, I think sometimes in the church we get so used to hearing the gospel 
that we forget about how strange it was to us when it was first presented to us. A guy was born 2,000 years ago to a virgin teenage girl, ultimately in order to save the world by being nailed to two wooden beams put together. He bought peace on earth through a ton of violence that happened to him. And since then, we're waiting for the day for him to return back to take us to him. And he returns back riding through the clouds on a white horse to collect the faithful and to destroy the wicked and to restore earth. And then we're like, why doesn't everyone just believe this? It sometimes in the church has become so easy to talk about that we forget that we were skeptics too, that we had our doubts too. And, and some of you may at this point say, well, I, I didn't really realize that I had doubts until you just went into all of those things. Uh, and I get it. We have questions when we read Scripture. We have questions when we come to church. We have questions when we're in Bible study. And doubt is one of the reasons why many people struggle to believe these things that are hovering over their minds and sometimes even in their hearts. And I, I know a lot of people in their minds would think that they want to believe, but they feel like in order to believe, they've got to turn their minds off. They've got to pay, not pay attention to the evidence that's out, out there. They have to feel like that everything they've learned is wrong in order for them to believe what Scripture says. Doubt has become a common occurrence for many of us in our culture. There are people that we know who have failed us, and it causes more doubt. Some of them even in religious positions that we've heard about, and it causes us to doubt. There's so much false information out there, especially on social media and the rise of that, that exchange of information, and there's so much that's fake that's out there. And during this entire time with COVID-19, it's caused so many of us to doubt anything that we hear because we just can't believe the information that is being passed on to us. We see a world filled with hurt and with pain, and it makes us doubt whether or not God is even good, or at least if He's even paying attention. People doubt for a lot of different reasons. You may have doubts this morning. You may be doubting for reasons that I've not mentioned. But I would argue that the problem is not really in the doubt itself, but rather how we handle that doubt. Because mishandled skepticism often results in a lack of hope. Now, we're certainly not alone in this struggle. After Jesus' crucifixion, his friends were heartbroken because their hopes and their dreams of a new and better world under the rule of God's chosen Messiah and God's kingdom had seemingly come to a screeching halt. It wasn't until ultimately Jesus miraculously began to show up as the resurrected Lord that they would begin to start spreading the message of hope and the gospel to the ends of the earth that Jesus was alive. But there was one disciple whose name was Thomas, and he refused to believe. Why? Well, let's look. Beginning in verse 24 of John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 24. What do we find? Here's where it begins. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, 
was not with them when Jesus came. There's the problem, number one, by the way. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands in the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put, your, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So how, like Thomas, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of unbelief, in the midst of skepticism, how can we find hope when we're experiencing that doubt? Well, first of all, here's what we learn from Thomas's story. First of all, search for the truth. Don't be afraid to search for the truth. Don't be afraid to look for answers. Don't be afraid to seek after knowledge. Those things are all good. And here's the reality. All truth is God's truth. If it is a real, authentic, true statement of reality, then it's part of God's reality that He created. And what we're going to see is He's not afraid of that. So we shouldn't be either. So search for the truth. Now, to be honest with you, I feel a little bad for Thomas. I mean, seriously, this is Thomas's legacy. This is what he is known for. Other disciples didn't get, names for their, didn't get named for their faults. We don't hear that about Peter. Remember, Peter had a problem with being fearful. He was fearful when he was walking on water. He was fearful when he was doubting Jesus. He was fearful when Jesus approached him after that. He, he was afraid in a lot of different times, but we don't know Peter as petrified Peter. That's not his name. We don't see other disciples like that, lusting Luke or judgmental James. We, we don't see those types of tags being put on people, but Thomas got named for this. Remember, everybody knows because we call it Doubting Thomas. Don't be a Doubting Thomas. That's a name that was given to him that ultimately is passed on to anybody who doesn't believe something. Here's his story. Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' followers, went to the tomb early on Easter Sunday morning to anoint Jesus, and she found the stone rolled away. So she assumed someone had stolen the body of Jesus, so she runs back to tell the other disciples. Now, Peter and John run to the tomb, and Peter goes on in, and he finds not the body of Jesus, but he finds the headscarf of Jesus folded up and laid on a bench which indicates a couple things to him and to everybody else. First of all, this wasn't a burglar that came in and stole the body of Jesus because uh, what thief stays around to fold up neatly the bed sheets and the headscarf and all the stuff that's there? That's just not what happens. It also indicates that something bigger has happened. That maybe those things that Jesus had been telling them leading up to the crucifixion were actually true. That actually a miracle has occurred. Matter of fact, two, in fact. Jesus' body had been resurrected and... Uh, apparently a single man had remembered how to fold his clothes. This is something that my wife would say is impossible for anyone to figure out. My sons don't have any idea how to fold their towels, how to fold their clothes. But ultimately what we see here is this really is a miracle of God that has taken place. Well, later that night, Jesus not only as the resurrected Lord, 
but he actually appears to all the disciples in the middle of a room where all the doors had been locked. Now, why were they locked? Because the disciples were terrified that they were going to be the next ones to be crucified as the followers of Jesus. And so Jesus shows up, but Thomas isn't there. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. This is why Thomas had such a difficult time believing. But in verse 25 it says, so the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So let's learn a couple things from Thomas's reaction. First of all, don't reject evidence. It's really easy for us to reject evidence because we've already got a preconceived idea of what's taking place. But truthfully, we're a lot like Thomas. The doubt that we often express in many instances is a way of keeping ourselves from getting our hopes up that things in life can actually be different and be better and we don't want to be let down again. See, Thomas, wasn't that Thomas didn't want Jesus to be resurrected. It's that Thomas didn't want to get his hopes up again. Thomas didn't want to believe in something so strongly to see it ripped out from under him once again. Don't we find ourselves trying to protect ourselves from those things happening and sometimes that creates and causes doubt for us thomas didn't want to believe that jesus was alive because he didn't want to be let down we often don't want to believe because we hope that ultimately god will do things in such a way that will make all the problems go away and when the problems don't go away we begin to guard our hearts and guard ourselves from believing again think about it what's the first thing we say when we're given good news Sometimes we'll respond with, no way. Or sometimes we'll respond with, you've got to be kidding me. Because we begin many times with doubt in order to protect ourselves from what may be a prank, what may be misinformation, and what somebody may be trying to tell us that doesn't turn out to be exactly true. I remember one night I was sitting in a chair in our bedroom. I was watching TV, and we, we were actually in the middle of leading a marriage conference at a previous church, and and Beth was in the restroom, and I was in the, in the chair, and I drifted off to sleep. And Beth comes running out of the bathroom holding a pregnancy test. Now, we already had four kids, and uh, our um, plan was never to have uh, an additional child. I wanted two, by the way. Beth wanted four, and here she comes running out of the bathroom with the pregnancy test indicating we're about to have number five. And I looked at it, and clearly... It was a positive result. But for three months leading up to that, first, uh, to that first real ultrasound that we would have, I was in complete and total denial. Uh, I was, nope, there's no way that we're pregnant. It's got to be a false positive. It's got to be something else. I was living in doubt because I'm thinking, I don't even know how to take care of the four we got. How are we going to take care of a fifth one? And we respond with that doubt in order to protect ourselves maybe from stuff we don't want to happen or maybe from stuff we do want to happen and we don't want to be let down again and we constantly reject the evidence because we've already made up in our minds how things would be this is where thomas was but here's another thing to learn from thomas don't be close-minded it's easy to reject the evidence and close off your mind to the truth and the realities that you see he said unless i see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side i will never believe 
John Mark Comer, in his message on Thomas, says this. Now this has got to be at the top of the list of things that you regret saying. Think about it. You say something stupid in a small group and you're embarrassed for five minutes until everybody forgets about it. Thomas says something stupid and it's written down in the Bible for 2,000 years. And not only that, as I already mentioned, he gets named for it. This, this is the, the reality of the severity of doubt sometimes and saying things and being closed off and closed-minded to the things that are out there that might actually be true because you've already made up in your mind that this is the way things are. So what's the moral of this story so far? Look, it's okay to doubt. Doubting makes you like everybody else on the planet. But you need to be willing to seek after the truth and you need to be willing to be open-minded to that truth when you find it because when you find it, you need to listen to the truth. Verse 26 says, Eight days later his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side, and do not disbelieve, but believe. A couple things here just to kind of keep in mind. First of all, God is not hindered by our doubt. I want you to notice that there were other fears and doubts that were taking place. It wasn't just Thomas. This time, Thomas is with the disciples. They're back in a room. We assume the same room. And the doors are locked again. Now, we understand the first time they were locked because they were afraid of being crucified in the same manner in which Jesus had been crucified. So they're a little nervous. But Jesus showed up. That should have radically changed everything for them. Their fear should have been swept away by their Lord returning. But instead, now a few days later, they find themselves in the same room once again with the doors locked because they're still scared. They're still doubting that Jesus is going to accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish. But here's the thing. God is not hindered by our doubt. See, God is at work in this world, and he is moving, and he's going to accomplish his will. And sometimes we're going to doubt that he's actually doing that, but that won't stop God from doing what he's going to do. It says here, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He was on a mission, and there was no doubt and no fear and no rejection that was going to keep him from accomplishing his purpose on this earth. Sometimes we encounter people that doubt. But we cannot back away from the mission. God is not hindered by the mission, and we shouldn't be hindered by the mission. Many years ago, there was a, a grandfather with the, of a special needs little girl that came to meet with a particular senior pastor. And in the meeting, the man demanded to know, how is it possible that a God, a loving God, could exist while my granddaughter has to suffer and go through life the way that she is experiencing it? Seemingly, she's going to have to grow up in a world that's not going to accept her. That's not going to be welcoming to her. No matter what answer that pastor gave this man, he got angrier and angrier and pushed further and further away from God. Eventually, he left the church, left the faith. About a year later, the same man was scheduled for surgery, and the pastor went to go visit him in the hospital to have prayer with him beforehand, but he refused any kind of prayer, and he still harbored resentment, not just toward God, but toward anybody that supported the message of hope. And the pastor prayed anyway. Why? Because if doubt and rejection and resentment don't hinder the work of Jesus, then why should it hinder the work of Jesus' servants and disciples? He wasn't afraid of Thomas's doubts. 
He wasn't afraid of the fear of the disciples. He was on a mission to offer peace that he said to you and to the rest of the world. We have to be willing to say, in spite of the doubts of others and sometimes even in spite of our own doubts, we got a mission to take the message of hope and peace to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Jesus cared enough to walk with us through difficulty. We need to be willing to walk with others even if they're experiencing doubt. But also it means God's not afraid of our questions. Sometimes we're afraid of questions because we don't, we don't think we might have the answers. Isn't it a lot easier sometimes to just pretend like there are no doubters than it is to actually do the dirty work of answering questions? I mean, let's just pretend like nobody here has doubts and everything's perfect and fine and there are no difficult questions. But the truth is, we've all experienced doubt. We all want our questions to be answered. And God's not afraid of that. Because all truth is God's truth. And, you know, that's another reason why I really feel bad for Thomas. Lots of people in the Gospels doubted. The Gospels are filled with stories of doubting people. Starting with one that Jesus called the greatest prophet of all time, John the Baptist. After preaching that Jesus was the promised Messiah, John gets discouraged because Jesus doesn't seem to be bringing the kingdom as quickly as John would like. And so he sends a message to Jesus and asks this question, are you the one or should we look for another? Luke chapter 7, verse 19. In other words, was I mistaken? I'm starting to doubt you really are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, this is the crazy, radical, homeless prophet who wore a frock of camel hair and lived in the woods and ate locusts and proclaimed, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now he's doubting. Well, nobody calls him Doubting John. They call him John the Baptist. John tells us in chapter 7, verse 5 of his gospel that James, Jesus' brother, who would go on to become the leader of the church in Jerusalem and write the book of James that's in the New Testament would be the first martyr for Jesus. At one point, he doubted Jesus and even publicly accused him of being crazy and losing his mind. This was his own brother. One of my favorites. Go to the end of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, right before the, the Great Commission. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, it says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now, do you know what was happening in Matthew chapter 18, verse Matthew chapter 28, verse 17? They were watching Jesus ascend into heaven. He's levitating off of the ground. And seriously, Jesus, the resurrected Savior, who recently been crucified, but now was risen in a crowd of witnesses watching Him ascend back into heaven. And all of a sudden, some of the followers say, yeah, I don't know, I'm still a little bit unsure. Maybe, maybe not, we're not sure if He's really the one. How is that even possible? Well, the point is this, lots of people doubt it wasn't just Thomas. But here's what's significant about this story. Jesus tells, John's, uh, tells Thomas' story last in the Gospel of John. John says the purpose of this book was to give you stories of people that believe so that you might learn to believe. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Well, that's why he puts Thomas' story last. Right before he gives us that description, the very last story of all of these miraculous things 
is to show you the best example in the whole book of someone who could not believe, but because of an encounter with Jesus, began to have faith and to believe. So search for that truth. Listen to that truth. And then just as Thomas did, respond to the truth. Verse 28 and 29. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. A couple of just real quick things here as we close this out. First of all, doubt doesn't make you strong. Now, sometimes we might feel like that. But just because you doubt doesn't mean that you're strong-minded. It doesn't mean that you have wisdom. Sometimes doubt is for the wrong reason. Sometimes doubt is foolish. And by the way, if anyone ever tells you that Jesus never claimed to be God, take them to this Scripture. Every other place in the Bible, when this kind of thing is said to anyone else, Peter, Paul, Moses, even the angels, they immediately respond, I'm a creature just like you. I am not God. Do not worship me. Don't be a blasphemer. Worship only God. And yet right here, Jesus does not rebuke him. Jesus receives Thomas' worship which shows you that he is expressing to the world he is exactly who Thomas said he was. My Lord and my God. You know, Jehovah's Witness don't believe that Jesus is God. They get around this verse in Scripture by saying that Thomas turned around, looked back up into the heavens and said, my Lord and my God. So he wasn't actually referring to Jesus. The problem with that is that's not what the text says. The text expressly shows that what they're claiming is nonsense and that Thomas did refer to Jesus as my Lord and my God. You know, sometimes we get so committed to doubt and disbelief that we refuse to acknowledge truth when it smacks us in the face. Doubt doesn't make you strong. Here's the reality. Faith doesn't make you weak. The world would like for us to believe that. You're just going to have faith in this story because somebody told you to believe it. Or are we going to be overwhelmed by the evidence and respond to that, not with doubt, but with faith? Robert Louis Stevenson, one of the greatest novelists of the 20th century, writes about one of his excursions in the South Sea Islands where the ship encountered a terrible storm in the belly of the ship. All the passengers were huddled together, frightened, scared of what might happen, worried the ship was going to be lost and ultimately their lives as well, and filled with doubts about their safety. And one of the men finally gathered up the nerve to venture out into the wind and the rain and went to the upper deck where he saw the captain quietly pacing the bridge. He had a tranquil and undisturbed face with everything else going on around him. He turned back and looked at the man, made eye contact with him, and just smiled. And the man made his way back to the cabin where all the other passengers were still huddled together in fear. And in response to their questions, he comforted them with this, I have seen the captain's face, and all is well. You know, sometimes, we don't get all of our questions answered. Sometimes, all the problems don't go away. But when we recognize 
that Jesus Christ is with us. In the middle of our doubts, we discover that hope is here. Sometimes all we need to do is to look in the face of our Christ, of our Savior, to see that all is well. Thomas would go on to die for his faith. I mean, this wasn't just a mere emotional response. He believed, and he gave his life because of it. Church tradition tells us that he was speared to death in India for preaching the gospel. Now, let's be totally honest. If you find yourself in a position of doubt today, of skepticism, of uncertainty, this passage may not immediately provide hope to you. I mean, you may think, well, yeah, if Jesus showed up and let me touch his wounds, then sure, I'd stop doubting too. If Jesus showed up tonight in this room and said, hey, just so you know, I'm real and the Bible is true, then, then absolutely, I would believe. You know what? That's, that's fair enough. We're being honest. That's probably true. That'd probably change even the most cold-hearted skeptic out there. But think about what happened in this moment with Thomas. Did Jesus actually answer any of his questions? Did he come back and say, hey Thomas, let me explain why I did everything that I did. Let me explain the bigger picture. He didn't come back and explain anything. He just simply showed up. And just the simple revelation of His resurrection was enough. He revealed Himself. And in that moment, in that instant, Thomas suspended all of his doubts and he embraced what was revealed to him. Sometimes we have to stop demanding an explanation for all of our questions and just submit to the revealed truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who gave His life so that we could have the forgiveness of sin, who was raised from the dead, and who ascended back to the Father. And you say, wow, yeah, sure. That's all we have to do is to believe those things. But here's the thing. On the surface, the evidence is actually overwhelming. We're talking about a cloud of witnesses that saw these things. Historical documents that have marked them down, that they actually happened. But when people don't believe, it's almost always for some other reason, not because the evidence isn't convincing. And so here's what I want you to do today. I want you to take a moment and be honest with yourself. If you're doubting, if you're skeptical, if you're uncertain, if you're holding back because of something in your mind that's key then be honest. What is it? What is it that you're looking for? If you don't believe, what's the real reason? The evidence is there if you want to believe it. Search for the truth. Listen to the truth. Respond to the truth. It's there. But what are the real reasons? Most of the time, the real reason is we do not want to surrender our will to another. It is easier to not believe than it is to surrender. It takes humility to recognize that there are going to be a lot of things that you're not going to know about God, that He's not going 
to reveal to us this side of heaven. You're going to have to find out that there are some things about God maybe that are offensive to you. Maybe that go against your worldview. Maybe that go against the way you want things to be. You're going to have to recognize you're not God. He is God and you don't get to call the shots. And you have to be willing to say your doubt is not necessarily in the evidence. Your doubt is in a desire to want to be God yourself. To want to have the answers and for God to submit to your will. That's not the way this works. You can't have the peace and hope that God offers without surrendering to that same God. If you don't approach the question of Jesus with that sense of humility and submission to God and to His truth, you're never going to know the truth about Jesus and you're never going to find hope in Him. There's hope for the doubters, but there's only hope for the doubters if as doubters we submit ourselves to Him. That, that is the point of the message of Thomas. He heard. He didn't believe. But then Jesus was revealed to him, and he believed. And don't miss that last verse. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You want to be blessed? You want to find hope? Then believe. Would you bow your heads with me today? Father, we are beyond grateful that you would reveal yourself to us. And even more than that, that you would send your son Jesus in the flesh. That he would live a perfect life, that he would die a cruel death on the cross. That he would be buried in a borrowed tomb, that he would be raised again. That he would perform miracles that many people would see. That he would ascend back to you where he makes intercession for us. And that he's coming back for us one day. And all of those things are true. And yet, you still leave it to us to believe. So God, I pray today you would draw us to you. You would draw us to surrender. You would draw us to submit. And we would find hope. And we would find peace. And we would find purpose in you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.